All right, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome to the Connect Together podcast by the Industrial Solutions Network. I've said this every episode. The Industrial Solutions Network consists of Royal Industrial Solutions in Southern California, CES in the Northwest, Keith Lee Patterson in Arkansas, Baldwin Hall up in New York, Mose Bond, Pittsburgh, the CD locations in Kentucky, Renson House, Kansas City, Missouri, Tri-State up there in Pittsburgh too, and the CD locations in Nebraska. And this is a podcast where we're going to try to discuss a lot of good topics um, about the manufacturing world, the industrial world, um, and things that could hopefully help you do what you do better, um, you know, satisfy your curiosity and educate uh, you. And um, today's no different. We're bringing on some experts to talk to me and others about, you know, something that I think is very important right now in uh, the food and bev world. Um, Greg is an expert at uh, something that I'll get to here just a bit. I am not an expert in it, so he's going to educate me and you on uh, some robotics in the food and bev, or really almost in any any industry, but we want to focus on the food and bev today. Um, Super excited to kind of talk through this. We haven't had a ton of uh, robotic conversations, and uh, that is obviously super important anymore as uh, the industrial uh, manufacturing keeps evolving now more than ever, and things are changing. Things are changing a lot right now in the manufacturing world, um, especially in food and bev. Food and beverage, there's a lot of demands both on what food safety is, the quality of the products, information of the products, and just any sort of regulations. And how do we combat that? How do we help these manufacturers, uh, you know, positively impact their end product, their productivity, efficiency, blah, 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 blah. So we have someone awesome with us today. Um, He was gracious enough to, uh, you know, lend us his time. Uh, Welcome. Greg Brassick with uh, Codian Robotics. How are you doing? Good, Justin. How are you today? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. I mean, we're in a pandemic, uh, which probably makes what you do uh, somewhat important of trying to figure out how to help these food and beverage uh, navigate through these times, I'm sure. Um, Greg, so you are with Codian Robotics. Um, I think today, you know, we're focused on the food and bev, but you do a lot of different industries. Tell us a little bit about uh, Codian Robotics. Food and Brev is uh, actually one of our largest uh, focuses uh, at Codian. Uh, I founded the company here in the Americas back in 2011. Uh, Codian was formed in June of 2011 in Europe, the parent company was. So we've been doing this now for nine years. Uh, I am actually a specialist uh, uh, in the sale of uh, open architecture Delta robots. I'm one of the very few people that's an expert in this uh, in in North America. So I am actually an expert. Um, I've been, <laughs> no, I've I been don't think anybody, in, no one was doubting you, Greg. I, I, I built you up as an expert and you're a founder of uh, a robotics company. If you're not an expert, then I don't know who is. I never thought I'd be one of those old timers, you know, that was an expert, but I, I did get there. So. <laughs> well, I'll get back to that real quick. Um, a little bit more on Cody and what you try to bring to uh, the manufacturing world. Uh, we also have with us, uh, for the first time, uh, Kara, uh, Christensen out of our CED Omaha location. She is trained to be a chemical engineer and she is helping to put on a food and beverage virtual forum here coming up that Codian's actually involved with. Uh, how are you doing, Kara? Good. How are you? Are you excited to be on this podcast? 
Super excited. It's oh, the yeah. first time I've ever been on a podcast. Uh, Greg, too. And based how I host these podcasts, it probably seems like I it's my first time on a podcast as well, too. But we're going to get through it and hopefully provide some really good information. Um, so coding robotics, what, I mean, what do you try to do to help these manufacturers out? Well, generally speaking, uh, people come to us with applications, uh, <clears throat> that they have some need for robotics. Uh, usually that's labor replacement, but it may be one of a number of other issues, including some type of a quality issue. And uh, another uh, important consideration typically for people that come to us is they want to have a single control system architecture. So we're basically matching robot arms to their applications and sizing the transmission components, the motors and servo drives and so on, so that they can work with the uh, control system of their choice, which of course would be Alan Bradley, right? Well, for so, us uh, and every customer that's out there, it should be 100%. Yeah. Alan Bradley is our, <laughs> uh, is our, we, largest, is our largest partner. I, I got to uh, say that we are an exclusive distributor of Alan Bradley products. <laughs> uh, they, they, they are our longest running partner. Uh, Rockwell's been doing this kind of work for about 12 years now. It's uh, actually kind of a well-kept secret in a lot of ways, but uh, Rockwell has a great deal of expertise in the field of robotics, believe it or not. So uh, typically what we're doing then is we're matching that control system company up with the right mechanical arm set uh, for the application that they're doing. And uh, we're currently making about 110 different models of robot. So we've got a fairly granular product line that we can use to get exactly the right robot for a job. So that's always our goal is to try to try to get exactly the right piece of hardware. What is, okay, so let's step back a bit. So what is the current state of robotics in the manufacturing world right now? Well, um, you know, the answer to that uh, really kind of depends, I guess, on the industry that we're talking about. Um, <clears throat> some industries are very highly penetrated by robots, uh, automotive and aerospace being two uh, very good examples of that, where they adopted robotics very early on. Uh, in a lot of other industries, uh, you don't see as much in the way of robotics penetration, uh, food and beverage being one of the least. Uh, so uh, that particular industry, uh, which is our focus, uh, has been our focus since we were founded, um, <clears throat> the number of, uh, of plants uh, that make extensive use of robotics is quite small. And uh, the COVID-19 epidemic, I think, has been a real wake-up call for a lot of companies. Interesting. And so uh, you kind of got into it a bit. So why, why food and beverage manufacturing? Why are they not necessarily adapting robotics um, at a large scale right now, like uh, the automotive and other industries? Traditionally, food and beverage used a lot of hand labor, uh, a lot of unskilled people standing next to conveyors. Uh, this was very common in just about every plant that you went into. So uh, a lot of the operations were performed by hand. And uh, some of that has to do with the industry itself, uh, the sourcing of labor, the fact that you can hire relatively unskilled people to do jobs like this. So the cost per person is not very high or traditionally wasn't very high. Um, <clears throat> but it also has to do with the type of products they work with too. Uh, when you think about automotive components, uh, they're exactly the same. I mean, if an engine block is not exactly the same from one to the next to the next, there's a big problem with the car. Uh, but when you're looking at food products, uh, there tends to be a fair amount of variation in size mm. and shape. Uh, so the applications in many cases were harder to, uh, to do with robots. 
uh, took more years to figure out uh, more sophisticated vision technologies and tracking technologies and so on uh, in order to effectively uh, manipulate and uh, uh, pick and place uh, objects like that. You know, if you think of a chicken wing, uh, there are, there are going to be no two chicken wings that are the same and 100,000 of them that you're running. So, um, you know, they're as individual as people when you look at them. So uh, it just required a little bit more in the way of technology, I think. And also uh, because the cost of products tends to be lower in food and beverage, uh, maybe there wasn't as much financial incentive as there was in automotive and things like that. And then, uh, you know, another thing too is the environmental issues uh, with uh, uh, automotive. A lot of the jobs that were done by robots early on uh, were hazardous, uh, spraying paint, uh, welding. Uh, there were fumes of some type, metal fumes or solvent fumes uh, in the environment. So those were jobs that really, really uh, were begging to be done by robots. Um, also, they're highly repetitive, right? When welds are done on parts that are exactly the same, you want the welds to be exactly the same. So those were jobs that were very well done by robots early on. So interesting. So you already addressed some of the challenges, right? That's one of my future questions on that. I was going to ask. So there's a good segue into like, so those are the challenges. Nothing's alike. There's associate fumes and stuff, other stuff that could affect the food safety and the washdown and how clean the environment needs to be in this food and beverage manufacturing. So how did you address that? How did robotics address that? And what sort of applications are like suited for this sort of application uh, for like the beginners or people like, hey, I need to, I need to figure something out here to improve productivity. Um, you know, from the world that we're in, uh, we're in a high production number world, um, because, uh, different branches of robotics, uh, deal differently with things. For example, uh, if that question is asked to somebody that makes cobots, uh, they're basically not going to be motivated by production speed. Uh, they're going to be motivated by drop in replacement where they can move it up to the spot where a human being was working. Uh, in the world that we're working in, people don't want slow robots, so we don't we don't do anything with cobotics. Uh, our robots are all very high-speed production systems. Uh, they tend to be in guarded enclosures, um, so you know our focus is on very high-speed applications. So, how do you address the the cleanliness to make sure like it's washed down and and that it's the environment is good for those sort of standards for food and bev manufacturing? We, uh, we actually manufacture uh, quite a large line of IP69K hygienic robots. Um, we're one of the only Delta manufacturers in the world, actually, that have true IP69K systems. So our robots are designed, uh, the HD series robots are designed from the ground up to be washable with caustics and hot, hot water uh, and to be used for applications like primary protein handling. So uh, those, those robots were designed right from the very beginning to do that type of work. So, you know, speaking of like those sort of applications, if there's a customer of ours out there that was like the prime example to be looking at a robotic application, what are those like types of customers or very type of the whole process that this food and beverage might have that is like, you need to start looking at this now if you don't already, because this is a no brainer. It's like the return on investment on it is like a no brainer. Well, um, you know, you hit it on the head right there. Return on, on investment is typically going to be uh, one of the most important factors, um, as well as the suitability of the application for robots to do it. Um, typically, uh, this starts out with a desire to replace hand labor in some way, 
uh, shape or form. I mean, uh, <clears throat> it might just be a, a reducing labor content uh, in the cost of the product. That might be the motivation, uh, but it might be sanitary concerns. Uh, anyone that's ever worked in food plants, uh, you've spent a lot of time in food plants. If you just stand back and watch people for a while, uh, especially if they don't know you're watching them, they'll reveal a lot of behaviors that uh, the people in quality control might not especially like in food processing. Uh, robots, on the other hand, never do things like that. Uh, in one of the projects I worked on years ago, I, I uh, told the owner of my company um, if we wanted to have an effective ad campaign for our industry, uh, the best thing to do would be to show a picture of the, uh, in this case, it was a system called the auto op, like an auto operator uh, running product with the caption underneath that just simply said, look, ma, no hands. And I said, we don't have to explain anything to our customers. All we have to do is say that. And they know exactly what we're talking about because uh, robots are going to be inherently sanitary as long as they're kept clean. So as long as people are doing the shift change cleanup, which can be prescribed as part of best practices, uh, they'll have a very sanitary system. People, on the other hand, can go to work sick. Uh, they can touch things they shouldn't touch and then touch food products. Uh, I've seen people do things like climb on conveyors and walk around on them with dirty boots. Um, I mean, I really would hesitate to tell you a lot of the stories that I've seen through the years in plants. Uh, so anyone that's aware of uh, issues like this, uh, you know, I mean, there are probably hundreds of thousands of people every year in the United States that get food poisoning uh, from products that are tainted because of some mishap in the production process. But uh, in an era of something like COVID-19, of course, uh, you know, you've got the possible contamination issue, but also the problem about sick workers, right? Yeah. Uh, that, that becomes another really big motivator because uh, the protein plants, the the pork plants, for example, all throughout the Midwest uh, that were running lots and lots of the country's pork, most of the plants that weren't highly automated were shut down this summer. At least for some period of time, they were shut down. Interesting. And uh, the, the reason is because you've got all these people are all standing shoulder to shoulder on these lines, and uh, you can't socially distance in an environment like that. Uh, but uh, the companies that spent the money and automated and uh, are using robots for doing a lot of these processes overhead, they can move to a paradigm instead where they've got a smaller number of people that can be widely spaced and they're mostly making sure everything's running correctly, uh, you know, looking for problems that they can solve rather than actually picking up and handling every one of the McRibs. You know, I mean, the robot can do that, right? The, use the people for the thinking jobs where they have to figure out how to problem solve and troubleshoot. Um, and a lot of the plants that we see, you know, have labor, uh, labor sourcing problems, right? Uh, until COVID hit, everybody was concerned about where they were going to find the next worker. Uh, in situations like that, of course, the robot, uh, suggests itself as a solution as well. Uh, it's easy to implement in many cases for a lot of these applications. Uh, one of the plants I was at, uh, two years ago, uh, at the beginning of a selling cycle for a uh, application that's now uh, we've now won in the chicken industry. They were telling me they had about 900 people per day uh, on uh, two shifts that were working in that plant. Uh, third shift being a maintenance shift, and um, they uh, were uh, I think about 20% of their workers were not showing up for each shift. You know, so in situations like that, it's uh, very difficult for the production people 
logistically to figure out how they move things around. So there, there are a number of reasons like that, a whole mix of them that revolve around some reason they want to replace hand labor. Interesting. Now, if there is ever a delay in the McRib getting out there, you will have so many people up in arms, I'm sure. So do not delay the McRib <laughs> by any means. So, you know, if you want to, if you want to make sure the McRib's out there, invest in robots. That's what I heard from uh, Greg. It, and it, that's a good point though you make because uh, our last podcast was actually with uh, Rattal and they do a lot of wash down enclosures and, and stuff like that. And that's probably associated to the solution that you guys have to, to, to operate uh, a lot of the robots and everything. And they did a survey and actually said that, well, they found that, especially now during the pandemic and COVID, uh, that their the manufacturers' customers care more now than ever the safety and knowing that their food and process is safe uh, when they go and purchase it and uh, use it in restaurants or purchase in the grocery store. Uh, Everybody's thinking about it now. Yeah. Everybody is. Yeah, and so, I mean, you know, we I I I would never celebrate this. I mean, I I. Don't even really feel right bringing it up in a lot of ways, but uh, our sales are up 60% this year over last year. And part of the reason is because people are looking at what they need to do in these plants to keep them running. Almost all of the projects that we've done in the second quarter of the year this year have all been food plants uh, because they all stayed open. Uh, they all have to run. You know, it's a critical industry. Um, and they're all trying to figure out ways that they're going to make the production chain more robust, how they're going to keep their production running no matter what. So we've had a lot of projects and uh, I'm hearing from a lot of the protein producers too, uh, the chicken companies and things like that, that uh, even though they may not want to take on more projects right now, other than things they really need to do uh, next year in 2021, they're anticipating a lot of automation projects. Now this is coming from executives and some of the big protein companies. So um, I think that we'll probably see a lot more of it because automation, as it turned out this time around was a good, uh, it was a good insurance policy for a lot of places. What? Yeah, I know I've already, I kind of asked this question in another way already, but you kind of hit it. It's <laughs> like there's so many people making this decision. What is that most single moment or light bulb moment that these manufacturers have? It's like, oh, I have to pull, I have to get this taken care of like now, right? I think for the protein plants, it was when they had to shut down because they, found out they had 27 people out of their 750 that were infected and uh, <clears throat> they've got them all packed together so closely on production lines and very crowded cafeterias and things. You know, I mean, it always worked in the past, right? That paradigm always worked in the past, but now the light bulb moment is that they see they can't do it anymore. Uh, if there's another pandemic or of course this one hasn't, hasn't finished yet. Uh, they can't go back to normal production in that manner because uh, they'll be shut down. So I, I think that we're seeing that in a lot of places now that they've realized that they're going to have to take another look at what they were doing with production lines and how they were laid out. Kara, I want to I want to get to you right now because you uh, have been uh, a little out of uh, you know you're you're fairly new to CED though you're trained to be a chemical engineer which is absolutely amazing I couldn't even start to even start training to be a chemical <laughs> engineering. Uh, chemical engineer, um, being somewhat of a, uh, an, an outsider to this industry, really just getting into like the manufacturing world. What questions, uh, do you have right now that, you know, you're just kind of thinking throughout this podcast? Um, 
I guess you kind of asked the opposite of this question just a second ago, but besides the cost, um, the actual price, what would be the biggest hurdle to get these manufacturers to get, be more automated? Well, that's a nuanced question. Um, I think that's a great question, um, by the way. That's a very good question, Kara. You're going to make me think about it a little bit here. Um, Basically, um, integration and uh, the technology, acceptance of the technology in a new paradigm uh, is, generally speaking, the biggest hurdle that we have to clear. And uh, the reason is because we're not typical of of other robot companies. Uh, The fact that we're using, for example, an Allen Bradley control system to run the robot makes us different, right? It's not a FANUC or an ABB control system that would be native to robotics. It's actually the same PLC that's going to be used to run the machine cell. So for places like General Motors or Ford, who have thousands of robots, including thousands of them sitting in warehouses that they don't use because they've closed plants and taken the robots out and put them in storage, nothing against those companies, but I don't spend any time at all working on them. They're not going to adopt it. They won't adopt the paradigm the cost to them is too high to adopt it because basically they've got hundreds or thousands of people that have been trained in programming for systems like FANUC and ABB. So they know those controllers and they've got a huge warehouse full of uh, potential replacement robots and parts. Hmm. So the, for them, there's just no way to clear that hurdle that would make sense to them. So, uh, you know, uh, implementation of the technology and acceptance of a different paradigm is probably the biggest hurdle that we face. In many cases, financial justification is easy. I mean, I could show you examples that I did for the executive uh, presentation that I'll do in Kara's uh, outstanding food and beverage event that's coming up. Um, And uh, basically, in most cases, we can show a one to three year payoff, depending on how many people on a line, how many shifts they're running, how much overtime they run, and so on. Right now, cost justification is pretty easy to show, um, especially in plants that have hygienic issues where they might be looking uh, at the possibility that they would even adopt a three-year payoff on something because they have special concerns about hygienic situations, uh, whereas normally uh, a one- to two-year payoff is typical. Uh, we can almost always show a two-year payoff, uh, one-year payoff depending on the number of shifts they run and the number of people being replaced. But uh, in most cases, though, we can show uh, potential uh, budgets of millions of dollars per line uh, with a two-year payoff. It's not that hard usually to do that. Depends on what part of the country they're into. The uh, West Coast is easiest, of course, because it has the highest labor cost. Um, does that answer your question, Kara? Yeah, that's interesting. That's a it's a great question. And, uh, you know, change is hard. <laughs> it's always... You're right. That's always one of the biggest hurdles too. Um, it's mean, expensive you, and it's risky, right? Well, yeah. I mean, so you have to shut down that line it's for some amount of time to make that uh, installation of whatever you do, whatever that change is. I don't know, you know, how long uh, typical length of time that is that you'd have to shut down. Can you do that without interrupting too much of their operation, Greg? Uh, boy. Uh, once again, uh, that's a nuanced question, and it's going to depend <laughs> completely on the line and on the uh, resources that are available for the line. We're going to change the podcast uh, to just connect together nuanced because that, that's all we ask is just nuanced questions. But we got to get the know, answers, I've, Greg. I haven't gotten used to nuanced things in America these last few years, Justin, but I'll uh, I'll be game here, and uh, I'll, I'll try to stay with you on that. But uh, 
excuse the social commentary. But uh, in any case, um, uh, you know, I've done installations before. Uh, I did one installation once years ago in the state of Maine where we were given 37 hours from when the automated cell hit the dock, 37 hours to have production running on the line. That's not a lot of time. And uh, the only way you can do something like that is to work 37 hours straight and then another three or four until you collapse so that you can get the kinks out that are inevitable when you're starting something up. A highly sophisticated automatic cell never starts up without some issues. There's always some problem, uh, some wire got landed wrong or something. But, uh, um, you know, that, that's the fastest I've ever seen. More typically, a couple of weeks is uh, probably more ordinary, uh, depending on the number of resources that people are willing to throw at something. That's cool. I mean, I'm hearing, like, safety of people is important, not only the people in your facility, even if it sometimes replaces uh, individuals and people down the line, your customers down the line. It impacts your producti productivity, impacts uh, uh, product quality, uh, downtime and uptime, et cetera. So we're hitting a lot of uh, check marks here <laughs> of how it can impact our customers, which uh, uh, seems very important. Awesome. Uh, Greg, any last comments? Uh, I think we hit a lot of stuff with how this can impact our customers, why, who, what, when, where, why, all that stuff. Um, any last comments? You coming from uh, uh, Cody and Robotics and, or for the customers out there, uh, what would you have to say to them? I think that uh, the advent of higher payload hygienic robots will have a really big impact on the market. Uh, it's something that I hadn't really brought up yet, but uh, a lot of the jobs in the past that were for things like handling things like a whole turkey or a whole ham, where there's a fair amount of mass there, maybe 10, 20 pounds of mass. Uh, those are some of the last hygienic applications that we're starting to assimilate now and, and uh, use our robots uh, to handle um, uh, because of the amount of weight that they had to carry, as well as needing to have the IP69K uh, washdown characteristics. So I think that you'll see a big change in those types of jobs. Um, and uh, there will continue, I think, to be an even more rapid acceleration towards eliminating as many of the hand positions on uh, food lines as possible. Uh, I think that's pretty much a no-brainer post-COVID-19. Well, awesome. Um, so I'll have Kara talk a bit about what she's putting on here and the next day or so uh, in our uh, Nebraska, Omaha, Nebraska location. Uh, Codian's going to be there. You are not only you know, gracious to give us time on this podcast, but also to be a part of uh, a virtual forum that we're doing to only be focused on food and Bev and, and topics that are important to them and, and what solutions we can provide uh, together. Right. Um, you know, the podcast is called connect together, you know, as a distributor, historically a distributor is people, you know, us and the industrial solutions network, they distribute products. We are bringing people together to provide really cool solutions for, uh, for manufacturers. I think that, I think the whole industry is changing that way. So we're bringing people like Cody and robotics, uh, Rockwell, uh, our experts, uh, our customers all together in this virtual forum. I think it's going to be really cool. Uh, so Codian will be there. Kara, what are you putting together for us? Yeah, well, we're putting together a food and beverage event. It's called the Food and Bev Forum. We're kicking it off with a live robotics demo, which is kind of fitting for 
today's theme. But then after the robotics demo, it'll split into four different tracks um, full of educational sessions, just with the goal of um, educating the consumers more on, you know, uh, different things that'll help your production and ways to be hygienic, more efficient, more productive, safer. Um, all those types of things will be incorporated into the event this Thursday. So we're really looking forward to it and looking forward to everybody coming together to talk about food production. And yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's really cool. Um, I think we're, we've always been around to hopefully educate uh, any of our you know, partners as much as we can and try to educate ourselves too. I mean, we're, we're learning along with uh, our customers and uh, we'll do more and more and try to do that as much as possible. Unfortunately, we can't be together, so we have to go virtual. I think it's great. I hope, you know, all of you on this call are safe. I hope everyone out there is safe and continue to try to be safe and healthy and, and do the best they can, uh, uh through this time. Uh, Greg and Kara, thanks so much for joining me today discussing, teaching me, and teaching everyone else out there about your stuff. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for the introduction and uh, the invitation to be here today, Justin. Of course. Now, that is our show again. This is the Connect Together podcast uh, by the Industrial Solutions Network of Locations, which includes the CD locations in Nebraska that Kara comes from, but also our locations in SoCal Royal, uh, CES up in the Northwest. I mentioned them all at the beginning of the podcast. Um, you can listen and subscribe. It's on iTunes. It's on SoundCloud. I guess it's not on Spotify yet. I'll get there. I'll get there eventually. But you, it's going to be on our news, our newsletter, our websites, etc. So if you have any questions, if you can listen and subscribe, go to iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, you can get a hold of me by commenting there or contact Justin Brunken uh, at justin.brunken at ced.com. I know it's at CED.com, even though I'm with the Industrial Solutions Network. That's all right. Uh, get a hold of me. I can answer any questions, get you a hold of uh, Greg and uh, Kara as well if you uh, want to proceed and answer any questions. Again, I'm your host, Justin. Appreciate your time. And uh, we'll be back with hopefully some awesome topics here in the next week or so. So really appreciate it and uh, talk to you later. <laughs>